welcome everyone to the Long Lens Podcast. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. So just a few housekeeping things. This podcast is supported by my Patreon supporters. So if you would like to join them, you get all of your questions answered first, as well as a little shout out on this podcast. And there's a bunch of other good perks on Patreon as well. So if you would like to support this podcast, support my YouTube channel, you can find me over on Patreon. And all of that will be in the show notes below. So we got a few good questions. I didn't put out an ask on Instagram this time just because I feel like we have a good amount of questions on Patreon and YouTube. So we're going to answer the Patreon questions first, and these questions always get answered first as well as a little shout out on the podcast. So we have a few questions from Jeff over at Sun Valley Drive Music. So Jeff asks, when you record video for YouTube, do you use a tool to help you with developing and reading your script? If so, what tool do you use? The only tool that I actually use is the Notes app on my iPhone. I write down bullet points of what I want to talk about, and that kind of note is basically like my entire YouTube video. So I'll put bullet points, and then after I'm done editing the A-roll, I'll make a little checklist of B-roll that I need to get. So whenever I'm out filming stuff, I can always just check my phone and see what B-roll I need. So yeah, basically just my notes app. I don't use a teleprompter or anything because some people are really good at, at like, you know, like reading off of teleprompters and making it look good. But if you look really close at their eyes, you can see their eyes like moving, reading down their teleprompter. And that's just something that like, if I was ever talking to you and my eyes were moving that much, I feel like it would be kind of distracting. And I just don't like that kind of distraction when I'm talking to the camera. I want it to seem as if I'm talking to a friend. So that's why I don't use a teleprompter, even if I had one. So the next question is, what tips can you share for helping people get comfortable being on camera when you're filming them? Well, that's something that I feel like is definitely weird for a lot of people to you know have a camera put in their face. But one thing that I always try to do is talk with the people first before you just like shove a camera in their face. Back when I was shooting weddings, I would always do this thing with my wedding films where I would go up to the bridal party or maybe like, you know, close friends or relatives to the bride or groom. And I would ask them just to, you know, say something for the bride or groom, you know, like say something that maybe they would want to hear, you know, 10 or 20 years from now. But I would always make sure that I would like talk to those people first before I like shove the camera in their face. And after I've talked with them, said hi, introduced myself, like I would say, hey, I'm doing a video for the bride and groom. And it'd be really cool if you, you know, shared some advice or just, you know, said something for the bride or groom so I can put it in the video. And that always just kind of like, you know, breaks up the tension. And I always keep eye contact with the people that I'm filming, even if I'm telling them to look into the camera. So that's just one thing. Like, don't be looking at your screen, be looking at the person and always be giving, you know, good, positive feedback. So yeah, that's just something that I would say. If you want more tips on like documentary filmmaking and actually like interviewing people, then I would definitely say go and watch some of Mark Bone's videos. His are really good and he does a lot more of that than I do. All right, next question from Jeff is, which manufacturers in the space are doing exciting or unique things that have gotten your attention? And are there any new technology developments that you find exciting? Example, I see some people posting about LiDAR for autofocus. There are a couple of things. I definitely think LiDAR could be a really good alternative to like phase detection autofocus, especially for people who use vintage lenses. Right now, the only company that's really doing it is DJI. And I really wish that DJI would make that module available without having to use the gimbal. Because it's really cool that it uses LiDAR to, you know, autofocus for you. But it's 
kind of sucky that you have to use like the RS3 or whatever, or the R3, whatever new DJI gimbal is out. So yeah, I think that's cool. Another really cool thing, I forget what it's called, but a YouTube channel called GX Ace just released a video about it. And it's basically kind of like that, except it's a autofocus adapter for certain vintage lenses that instead of turning the actual barrel of the lens, it just kind of moves the lens further or closer away from the actual camera body to focus it, and it does that automatically. It doesn't work in video yet, but he was showing some examples with like photography, and it was like keeping his face in focus the entire time, which is crazy. So yeah, I would definitely say go check out GX Aces. I think it's one of his last couple latest videos, and he does a whole video about it. I think something like that is really cool, and if it could ever work for video, I'd be really interested, because that means I could take a bunch of old vintage, you know, Canon FDs or contact Zeiss lens and basically have autofocus with them, which is pretty sweet. All right, the next question is not necessarily a podcast question, but more of a fan question. My son and I have been watching a YouTube channel called Camera Conspiracies. Casey is hilarious, but I think his style is quite different than yours. We've been calling him Snarky Nigel. Just wondered if you ever watched him. You can plead the fifth on this one. Uh, no, I definitely watch Camera Conspiracies. And yeah, uh, Casey and I have even, I think we've exchanged a, a few uh, comments back and forth over the years. But yeah, no, Casey's super funny. And I definitely think that he's something that's kind of needed in the camera world, you know, because he just kind of like, he doesn't really take himself that seriously. And he just kind of makes everything a joke. And I really like I resonate with his type of sense of humor. Maybe it's like a Canadian thing, but it's like really, really funny to like watch his videos. And you know, part of me wishes that like, I could make videos as I'm not gonna say that his videos are like, not good or anything like that but like they're just a lot easier to make i feel like because he just kind of sits in front of his camera and just kind of you know rants about the things that he doesn't like about certain lenses or cameras and it's funny because i feel like his intro is like all i want is the perfect camera but i feel like if the perfect camera existed he would still find something to like not like about it which i just think is hilarious uh but you know i totally watch casey from camera conspiracies and i listen to that song a lot like his full version of that song if you haven't listened to it it's pretty good the panasonic olympanotisicanicon that's just hilarious. So then Jeff has a few more bonus questions. The first one is, what area do you want to work on your own filmmaking in 2023? I definitely think I want, like, this year was all kind of about, you know, getting better at cinematography and lighting. And I think in 2023, I kind of want to get a little bit better at, like, moving the camera. But I've been, you know, filming more skateboarding now. And, you know, I filmed a little running sequence with my buddy Jake. So I feel like moving the camera more and moving it with intention is something that I want to work on a little bit in my own filmmaking in 2023. And then the last question from Jeff is, have you thought about what areas you want to focus on in your uh, channel content for 2023? And, yes, I think I kind of want to incorporate a little bit more skateboarding into my videos. Now that could be a really bad decision because it might not resonate with my current audience, but I definitely want to kind of like, you know, go back to my roots a little bit and, you know, create content that I really liked to create back when I was younger. So, and I just, I've, you know, like my, my love for skateboarding has only increased since moving here to Texas just because it's a lot drier here and I can skate a lot more. So other parts of my life are going to, you know, bleed into my YouTube videos and skateboarding has become a much bigger focal point in my life here in Texas because I'm doing it a lot more. So yeah. 
Thank you very much, Jeff, from Sun Valley Drive Music. And those are the only questions we have from Patreon, so now I'm going to go to my YouTube community page. All right, first question is, what is something you wished you started doing sooner on YouTube? And what is something you are excited about coming up? So yeah, I definitely wish that I had started doing things like Amazon affiliates a lot sooner. I never realized how easy it was and how efficient it was to create another form of revenue. So that's definitely something that I wish I did sooner. I kind of wish I honed in on a certain type of content a lot quicker because I was kind of all over the place with my content when I first started my YouTube channel. And the things that I'm excited for coming up is hopefully to incorporate a little bit more photography and skateboarding into my channel, which I hope will resonate well with my audience. Next question is, hey, Nigel, watching your video since 2019 and love your content. Hey, thanks a lot. My question is, I currently use a Nikon Z50 crop sensor, and I want to achieve the cinematic look that your videos have. My footage comes out with a very harsh highlights that looks worse if softened in Premiere Pro or any software, and also very digital looking over sharpened. And also, please tell me how I can get perfect skin tones in low light. And please also make a tutorial on a DIY mist filter. <laughs> okay, a lot of requests there. Um, so first thing is I would ask what lens are you using for that Nikon Z50? If I were you, I would find, I'm pretty sure you can get a Nikon F to Z autofocus adapter. And I would look into like maybe getting the Nikon mount Sigma 18 to 35 or something like that, because that's a crop sensor lens. That would instantly make your videos look better. And then you said that your highlights come out looking really harsh. And that's when I would say if your Z50 has zebras or a histogram, just make sure that if it's your zebras, just put it to 100% and make sure that you don't see your zebras on your highlights if you want to protect them that much. If that means that your shadows are completely crushed, you might have to like look into some lighting and, you know, just bring up your shadows with lighting. My personal opinion would be to just expose for your skin tones, not for the highlights. It's okay if you blow highlights a little bit. You can see it in my videos a lot that sometimes my highlights are blown, but it's like a window or something like that. I don't care if my window highlights are blown. Like I typically try to make sure that my skin tones are exposed properly. And in Premiere, which is the next question, you're asking how to fix skin tones and you want your footage to not look overly sharpened. Well, first of all, in your Z50, make sure that the sharpening is turned all the way down in camera. And if you don't want it to look overly sharpened, don't sharpen it that much in Premiere. If you want to fix your skin tones in Premiere, basically you just have to go to the HLS secondaries, use the eyedropper, click your skin tones, adjust it until you just see your skin tones and everything else is gray. And then you need to pull up your vector scope, the YUV, I believe, and make sure that your skin tones are hitting the skin tone line. This is a little hard to explain in a podcast format, but there are a lot of tutorials on YouTube that can show you how to fix your skin tones in Premiere. And then you're asking about, please make a tutorial on a DIY Pro Mist filter. I wouldn't do a DIY Pro Mist filter if I were you. If you really want a cheap mist filter, Newer has some, and they are really cheap on Amazon. So if you want, I'll put a link to one of those in the description, and that would be a better place to start than trying to make your own mist filter. All right, next question. Hey, great stuff. I wonder if you put written shot list for yourself just before you start filming. Yeah, this kind of goes back to Jeff's question. I don't have a shot list, but I do keep bullet points before I film my A-roll just so I can like look back on it and see what I need to talk about. And then I do 
technically make a shot list after I'm done cutting my A-roll because that kind of tells me what B-roll I need. So, and then I just use my notes app for that again. All right, next question is, thanks for the amazing content. Any recommendations on what app to use to record a lav mic on the iPhone? I don't have money to spend on a recorder. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure Rode, I think it's called the Rode Reporter app. That's a pretty good one to use to record audio on your iPhone. That's what I would use from time to time. And I'm pretty sure even just your voice memos app can probably do it. But yeah, the Road Reporter app is the one that I have used. And that's the only one that I can really recommend because it's the only one that I've actually had any experience with. All right, next question. Do you ever hold on to a song or a shot hoping you'll find the perfect video to put it in? Is it just me? Okay. Yeah, I sometimes like I have uh, playlists on Musicbed that is, is just like titled future YouTube videos. And I have a bunch of songs in that playlist of like videos that I could make with that song. So yeah, I definitely hold on to songs. Shots, not so much. Sometimes if I have a really nice shot that I like, I'll put it in a folder on one of my hard drives called footage for real. And if I ever make a reel or something like that, then I'll have like a bunch of my favorite footage that I've shot over the years in that folder. But I don't make reels anymore because I just like I don't need to pitch to clients or, you know, convince people that I know what I'm doing with a camera. So I just, I don't make reels anymore. I think my channel reel from 2019 was like the last reel that I actually ever did. But even that, that wasn't to like impress clients or anything like that. That was just kind of like a, a look back on some of my favorite things that I did in 2019. So yeah, I don't really hold on to footage in that sense anymore. I always keep my footage if I ever need to reference it, but yeah. Next question is favorite skateboard setup. Also, would you ever be into messing with a Canon M3? So favorite skateboard setup? Well, I ride an 8.5 inch deck and I typically buy Santa Cruz decks or CCS blanks if I'm not wanting to spend a bunch of money. CCS blanks are actually pretty good. Tactics, uh, Tactics Board Shop is a, a Northwest based board shop that I buy decks from a lot. So yeah, 8.5s on those. You know, Santa Cruz and Crooked are like my favorite two like deck brands. I usually ride Indy 149 like hollows, but right now I've been riding these like really cheap bullet trucks that are like, you know, basically copies of Indy 149s. Uh, it's because my skateboard got stolen like three separate times in Portland. So the first time my skateboard got stolen, I built like a brand new, like super expensive deck. And then that whole complete got stolen and then I built a slightly cheaper one and then that one got stolen and then after that I was like okay I'm just gonna get the cheapest stuff I possibly can so that if this gets stolen I won't be completely heartbroken and it hasn't and I'm still skating the really cheap stuff I mean it's not really cheap but yeah I have these bullet 149 trucks I always skate Bronson bearings and I've actually been skating these Richta Clive Dixon wheels for like the longest time. And I'm usually a Spitfire Formula 4, you know, type of guy. Like I skate, you know, like 54s, 55s. But I've been skating these these Richta 54s for like over a year now. And I do a lot of power slides and reverts and no flat spots yet, which is crazy because I always thought that like, you know, Spitfires were the only ones that I could rely on for not getting flat spots. But Richtas are pretty sick. And they're like, you know, like 101A density. So really hard wheels. And then, yeah, mob grip. Sorry if that was super boring for anyone who doesn't skate, but that's my current skate setup. Right now I'm skating a CCS board. And the other question from this person was, also, would you ever get into messing with the Canon M3? Well, no, but here's my reasoning why. Not that the Canon M3 is a bad camera. I actually like, you know, softer Canon 
DSLR footage, but the Canon M3 can't be hacked with Magic Lantern. Uh, the reason being is because it uses more of a Canon PowerShot firmware as opposed to like the Canon EOS M or the M50 that use a like a Rebel you know, firmware in it. I have been really considering getting the original M, hacking it with Magic Lantern and shooting 14-bit raw 1080p video. That's something that's like really appealing to me right now just because I see so many people doing it and their footage looks amazing. So yeah, I wouldn't really consider the M3, but definitely the original M, that's for sure. All right, next up is any understated tips on making short films. I'm doing a five-minute documentary project for a school that I'm taking way too seriously. I mean, as far as like from a cinematography standpoint, if you really wanted to, you know, go over the top, I would say get some nice lights, backlight everything. So, you know, you're shooting into the light instead of having the light front light your subjects, get good audio, have one of your classmates like hold a boom pole and make sure that you have, you have a, a decent shotgun mic and you're you know, you're booming your subjects well, get a hazer, like a fog machine, haze everything up, wait until it dissipates, like don't make it look like the house is on fire or, you know, whatever location you're in. So you can make it look really moody and really like cinematic uh, if you really wanted to go crazy, even if you had the most basic equipment. But always focus on the story first. Don't get too caught up in making it look cinematic and then not having a good story. So, you know, know your story arc, your beginning, middle, end, and uh, everything else will just be kind of icing on the cake. All right, next question. Is the GH4 great in 2022-2023? Yes, it is. It's very good. The only reason I wouldn't get it is if you wanted good autofocus and image stabilization, which for around the same price, you can get good autofocus and good image stabilization in a Micro Four Thirds camera by way of the Olympus EM1 Mark II. No joke, I have seen the Olympus EM1 Mark II on eBay, great used condition for like $400 from like a top rated seller. That's insane. So if you don't need the additional 10 bit out that the GH4 can give you, then I would just say go for the E1 Mark II because it has great image stabilization. It's a pretty nice 8-bit, you know, codec to work with, and you can find it for around the same price. So, yeah. Okay, my Zoom H1 ran out of card space, so I had to go and switch it out. Next question. What completed project did you learn the most on, and what is your biggest takeaway from it? My most recent project that I did, the, the coffee commercial, one thing that I learned, because that was pretty recent, one thing that I learned about that was that I really need some kind of like intern or like production assistant for stuff like that. Because just doing things like, you know, carrying my tripods or holding a bounce card or a 5-in-1 reflector or something like that, or, you know, holding up negative fill, that kind of stuff is something that I wish I had because I feel like I would have gotten a lot more shots that I was happy with and it would just would have made the whole production a lot smoother. So that's one of my biggest takeaways is that when I'm doing bigger projects like that, I definitely need to have another set of hands. All right. Next question is, hey Nigel, first of all, thanks for all the great content. My question is, I'm looking for a hybrid camera, Micro Four Thirds, very much like the GX85, 4K with 24p adjustable shutter speed. Would you reckon the OM10 Mark III might be the one? Thanks. I think they might mean the EM10 Mark III, and that is actually a camera that I've been looking to get into. I've had the GX85 before, loved that camera, loved that it's kind of like a, I don't know, like a rangefinder type of camera. And I have the EM1 Mark II right now that I just did a video on, which if you haven't seen it, 
definitely go check it out. It's one of my favorite videos that I've released. And yeah, the EM10 Mark II is great. It has great image stabilization, great for photography. The only thing I don't like about it is that the 1080p isn't great, but I'm actually, I'm like, I'm doing an entire video on like shooting video with a not so great video camera. So I don't know what the, I like that could be the title of it. I don't know. But yeah, the EM10 Mark III is basically like the EM10 Mark II just with 4K and a few you know, better processing power and stuff like that. So yeah, that could be a really good option if you want to stay with Olympus. If you're with Panasonic, like if you ever, like if you already have a GH5 or something like that, definitely go with a GX85. But if you're like me and you have like a EM1 Mark, you know, two, then the EM10 Mark III might be a pretty good option because it has really nice looking 4K video and great image stabilization. The only thing it doesn't have is a mic jack and autofocus. <laughs> All right, next question is, hi, Nigel. I know you can't give away any details specifically, but I'd love to know more about the whole working with brands thing on YouTube and social media in general. Would love to get some insights and your perspective on this. Thanks in advance, man. Okay, this is a question I've been really excited to answer because this is something that my perspective has changed on a lot in the past. And this is something that I wish I could have told myself like years ago when I was first starting YouTube. And so whenever I meet YouTubers, I always kind of share my perspective and my advice on this. And I kind of want to put it into a different perspective for you because there's a lot of companies that'll just, they'll go to you and say, hey, here's a $50 microphone. I want you to make a full dedicated review and you have this much time to, to you know put out your video and you have to send the video to us before you release it so we can approve it. And you have to put our link in your description and blah, 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 blah. They give you all these demands just for for a free microphone. And there are so many new YouTubers that just, you know, they're like, oh, free? Oh, you're gonna give it to me for free? Oh, I'll, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. But that's such a bad mindset to be in. And let me put it to you in a different perspective. Let's, let's think that you have a piece of property on a highway, okay? So think of your piece of property as your channel and the highway is the internet or it's YouTube. And you have this property that's big, AKA your audience is relatively big. Even if you only have like 5,000 subscribers or something like that, you still work to your ass off to get those, right? And then let's say a burger joint says, hey, we're gonna give you a free hamburger. And in exchange, we're gonna put a billboard on your property that's gonna stay there forever. Now, would you take that deal? I, for one, would never take that deal. I'd be like, are you kidding me? No way, get out of here. But like, that's what a lot of YouTubers do when they take these deals of like, you know, getting a free $50 microphone or hey, even if it's a free $500 light or something like that, they just go above and beyond for these companies that are basically getting the better end of the deal when it comes to a business relationship. Your video that you make for them is living on YouTube forever right? And they're getting constant, even if they don't see a big ROI in the first two years, think of it over the course of like 10 years, like you're doing way more for them than they are for you. So that's something that I always like tell people that are, you know, doing YouTube too, is that like, don't let these companies tell you what to do with your videos that you're making for them for free, right? It's totally different. Like I'll get into like sponsorships in just a second. But when it comes to just like getting free stuff from brands, the, the only in my opinion, the only thing that a brand should have to do with your video is sending you the product. If you are making them a video for free, you're not getting paid for it, which is, I think, how product reviews should be done. You should never get paid for them. I've never been paid to review a product. Every time a company reaches out to me and they say, hey, do you want to review this? I say, yes, but here are my terms. The only involvement you have in this video is you sending me the product. 
after I've received the product, that is the end of your involvement. I can do whatever I want with the video. If it's a horrible product, I will not make a video about it. I will send it back to you, but I am not like, you're not seeing it before I release it. You're not telling me what I can put in the description. You're not doing any of that. I'm making you a free video so I can do it whenever and say whatever I like. And if you don't agree to those terms, then fine, go find somebody else. I don't really care that much. That's how I feel like if every YouTuber got on board and had that kind of a mindset, it, like things would be a lot different. Just like how you would never go for that hamburger analogy. Like don't ever go for these people saying, hey, I'm gonna send you a free, you know, Comica mic, make an entire dedicated review. And I'm not, I'm not th like, I'm not throwing Comica under the bus at all. They are, have been one of the best brands that I've worked with because they just, they send me stuff that I don't even ask for. Like they sent me like this entire like Christmas package last year that like had all this like free stuff in it. And I didn't even ask them to do it. And they said, hey, don't even make a video. Like we just wanted to show our appreciation. There's a lot of like really good brands like that that I love working with, but I've definitely done videos where like brands have asked way too much from me. And I stupidly just did what they said because I thought that like I was getting the good end of the deal, but they were getting the way better end of the deal. There are some videos of mine that like blew up and got, you know, over 50, 70,000 views and I did it for free and I, you know, posted it when they wanted me to post it and, you know, put their link in my description and all this stuff that I just should never have done because if I put my own link in the description, I could have made some money off of it. You know what I mean? So... That's what I have to say when it comes to like free gear type of deals. But when it comes to like sponsorships, I have had some really bad experiences with sponsorships and it's kind of the same thing with sponsors. Like they have to have some kind of like ROI, like some kind of return on investment. And so there have been a lot of sponsors that, you know, I've done videos and maybe my videos haven't blown up the, the way that they want it to. So they're like, oh, well, you know, your videos didn't perform well. We didn't see a big return on investment. So we're going to offer you even less now than we did previously. And now I'm in the mindset of like, okay, well, go find somebody else because I'm not going to do it for that little, right? And it's the same thing with those those product deals or whatever. Like maybe you're not seeing a return on investment in the, you know, the 12-month period that like you have to show your numbers to, you know, the higher ups or whatever. But like, again, that video is living on my channel till kingdom come, right? Till YouTube is deleted for some reason. That video is going to be on my channel, right? So it's like, if I'm talking about your website or your product on that video and someone finds it in 10 years, you're never going to see that conversion, but I'm still promoting your brand indefinitely, right? And that's just something that like, I've kind of changed my mindset of. And there are other YouTubers like uh, Monica and Shelby Church that kind of give the advice of just like, if you have a set price in your head that you want to get paid for a sponsorship deal never falter on that. If you have like, let's just like put out a number. Like if you say, okay, my videos with a sponsor deal in it are worth a thousand bucks, never skimp on that because companies have the money to pay that. If they can't afford, like if you have like a, a 10,000 subscriber channel and you're like, hey, I want, you know, $500 for this, the sponsorship. And they say, no, we can't do that. Don't work with them. Like do not work with people like that. It is just not worth your time. It's better to find a different, source of income, like a different side hustle that you can do than to sell your soul for, you know, 200 bucks on a sponsorship or something like that. Okay, future Nigel just jumping in to just clarify and add a couple of things. First thing I want to clarify is all of the brands that I've worked with in the past year don't fit into this category of people that you shouldn't work with. I don't want to sound like I'm throwing any of the brands that I've worked with recently under the bus because I'm not. I've loved all the brands that I've worked with. Second off, there is a little bit of a caveat to the whole don't get paid for making reviews thing. And this is something that just actually popped up in my email. One of the companies that I recently did a review for 
were asking me if they could use my video for promotional purposes on their Amazon store, on their website. That kind of stuff, I'm totally okay with getting paid for because it's after the fact, so they're not paying me for the review, they're just paying me to use clips in my video. That I would say is okay, and I definitely would say don't just let companies use your review video as promotional pieces for them. That's popped up a few times on YouTube where I've seen copyright claims of these YouTube channels using the entirety of my video to like promote their product, and that's not okay. You shouldn't let that happen, so I always flag it and get it taken down. If a company is using your video to promote and sell stuff, then they should have paid you for the rights to use that video. So that's just something that I just wanna like jump in and add. So don't ever let companies do that without giving you some kind of compensation because giving you a free product is not enough compensation for using your video as a promotional piece, at least in my opinion. If you wanna to get totally ripped off, that's your own prerogative. This has only happened to me a couple of times and I've not worked with any of the companies that have tried to push this on me. There is a lot of companies that are gonna make you tr like sign a contract or an agreement or something like that to review their products. Now again, there is some caveats with bigger YouTube channels and like NDAs and you know embargoes and stuff like that. That's totally different. And like if Panasonic or Canon or even Olympus or I guess OM system like reach out to me and they wanted to give me one of their new cameras to review, then yeah, there's obviously gonna be more stipulations. And you know, I'll have to sign some kind of agreement that says I'm not gonna like leak footage or specs or anything like that. And I'm not gonna release my video until the embargo drops. I get that kind of stuff. It makes sense to jump on those types of product reviews because you get notoriety for releasing your video first. I'm not really in that like realm of getting new stuff because I don't review new stuff. I review cheap stuff. So that's a totally different category. But typically if some like lower end company that's just selling an accessory wants you to sign some kind of contract, do not do it. Like the only involvement that a company should have with your video is sending you the product and that's it. So yeah, I just wanted to add that. And the reason that I'm so passionate about talking about this topic specifically is because I've seen so many of my friends and fellow YouTubers take the deals that like I turned down and I just know that they're getting ripped off. And so it's like, I just want you to learn from my mistakes because I've done it before in the past. So yeah, hopefully that helps. I don't even know at this point if that even answers the question that you originally asked, but I hope that sheds a little bit of light on the whole, you know, working with brands, getting free stuff and making videos about it. So anyways, yeah. All right. Back to past Nigel. Yeah, I hope that's a little bit of an insight. Like I never get into like like actual figures and money and stuff like that, but like if you want any of my advice on like someone who's been doing sponsored deals for the last, you know, I think three years now, like that would be my biggest advice. And then yeah, as far as like free stuff from brands, I've been getting free stuff from brands for like five or six years now. And that's one thing that I would say is like, don't let them tell you what to do because you're doing way more for them than they are for you. That was kind of long-winded, but I hope that that was uh, insightful to some of you. All right, and the last question is, hey, Nigel, I want to start a mini docs YouTube channel about normal people in my city. Any advice, min or max? Time for video, topics, examples that you know? Thanks, mate. Love your work. Yeah, so I haven't really done a lot of mini docs in my time, but if you're going to do it about normal people, I feel like even the most 
normal people could have interesting stories or interesting jobs or interesting activities. But like if you made a video centered around these normal people's maybe like abnormal activities or something like that, that could be cool. Off the top of my head, that's what I would think is like, you know, even like seemingly normal people do pretty unique things. So that's what I would try to hone in on. As far as like gear, I would just try to like minimize it as much as you possibly can. Just get a camera and a lens with like a 24 to 70 zoom range. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a broad question, but those are just some of my thoughts and suggestions. But anyways, yeah, those are all the questions that I have for November. I keep saying that like I'm going to have a special guest, uh, you know, like the next episode. I might. I think I'm going to you know, close this season of the Long Lens podcast out with about two more episodes, uh, maybe one more Q&A in December, or maybe just two interviews. It just depends on how much time I have. I started this podcast in January of 2022. So January 2023, it's going to be a new season of probably very similar stuff, but hopefully more conversations with other YouTubers and creators who are in the same kind of space that I'm in. Again, there's links in the show notes below, and I will catch y'all next time. Later. Thank you.